We turn now to the Gospel of John, John chapter 12. We'll read from verses 20 through 41. <clears throat> Hear the Word of God, John, 20, John 12, verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, 
He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake of him. May God bless the reading of his sacred word. Dear church family, the Bible calls us often to earnest prayer. And yet, we often struggle with prayer. Prayer is not easy work most of the time. Even the disciples struggled, didn't they, with prayer. Lord, teach us to pray, they said. Now, there is no person from whom we can learn how to pray better than Jesus. And there is no gospel in which Jesus' prayers are laid out so profoundly and more thoroughly than the Gospel of John. All of John is permeated with the prayers of Jesus. Prayers, groaning prayers, like in John 11, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And, of course, the great high priestly prayer in John 17. A prayer like none other in all of Scripture. And yet, in all of the intimacy of the prayers of Jesus, the apex of his prayer life is certainly in the four words he prayed in John 12, 28, Father, glorify thy name. Which, of course, coincides with the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. And so this morning, I want to look with you at the apex of Jesus' prayers in glorifying his Father's name from that simple, profound text of John 12, 28, combined with Lord's Day 47 of our Heidelberg Catechism. Question 122, which is the first petition? Hallowed be thy name, that is, grant us first rightly to know thee and to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works, in which thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. And further also, that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. So our theme then, with God's help, is the apex of Jesus' prayers, glorifying our Father's name. And first, our Father be the primacy of our prayer. Second, our Father grant us to know Thee rightly. 
Our Father, move us to magnify Thee. And our Father, order our lives for Thy honor. I put the four points in prayer form this morning because really that's what we're doing when we pray, hallowed be Thy name. We're saying, our Father, hallowed be Thy name in these four respects. Now, we don't put a lot into a name today compared to former ages. Often when people name their babies today, they just pick a name they, that sounds good. In Bible times, when you pick the name, and in many cultures still today actually, you pick a name because of its meaning particularly Christians around the world, have uh, profound names, especially the African culture. Sometimes the children are named a very, very long name that is filled with spiritual meaning. Well, in Bible times, this was very common. It was quite common to name a baby after some attribute of God with the idea that God's name might be glorified through this child. A good example of that is Daniel and his three friends. Actually, all, all four of them are named after God and his attributes. Daniel means God is my judge in Hebrew. Hananiah means the Lord shows grace. Mishael means who is what God is. And Azariah means the Lord, the Lord's help. But what is true in former times of names of people is even more true of God. Because in former times, when you would name a child, you often named a child after what you wished he might be or she might be. Absalom, for example. He is a son of peace, but he actually turned out to be a son of war. So names had a great deal of meaning, but they also expressed the wish of the parents. But you see, with Jesus and with God, the 280 names in the Bible ascribed to Jesus and the hundred-some names ascribed to God more generically— and dozens of names ascribed to the Father, and dozens of names ascribed to the Holy Spirit, all of these hundreds of names are who and what God actually is. He is the great I am that I am. The unchangeable, covenant-keeping, ever-faithful, altogether-worthy Jehovah. The immortal, invisible only wise God, Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.17. And so when man fell and God began to work regeneration and conversion in the early inhabitants of the human race, one of the expressions that was used at the end of Genesis 4 probably an expression reflecting the first 
church services was then began men to call on the name of the Lord. You see, when we call upon the name of the Lord, when we're passionate about the hallowing of the name of God, because God's name is who God is, we are actually calling upon everything that God is. All that He has revealed Himself to be. All that He has done for the salvation of His people. All that He promises to do in Jesus Christ. Now, what does all of this mean practically? It means that when we use the name of God, we must do so with incredible reverence. Because it's God Himself. It's who He is. His name is a refuge. His name is a strong high tower. His name refers to His reputation, the Bible teaches us. His people trust in His name. He defends His people through His name. Everything you see is tied through the name of God to the very identity of God. And that's why when we think of the name of God, we must think of the primacy of God. There is nothing so big. There is nothing so great. There is nothing so critical in this world as the name of of God. According to Jesus, the name of God reflects His fatherly love, His heavenly glory, His eternal kingdom, His righteous will. And so it's natural, isn't it? It makes sense that when Jesus teaches us how to pray, how to pray, He begins by saying, pray this way, Our Father, which art in heaven, and then here comes the first petition, foundation for all your prayer, hallowed be thy name. Now, it's important to understand here that when we pray, we're to begin with God and not with us. It's not that our needs are not important. They are. It's not that we can't bring things great and small to God We can and we must. God is ever mindful of us, Psalm 8 says. He shares in our afflictions, Isaiah 63 says. He cares for us, 1 Peter 5, 7 says. Like a father with his tender love, Psalm 103 says. But you see what Jesus is saying is that as true as all of that is, Our prayers are grounded in the primacy of God. And therefore, to begin with God, as we speak to God, to begin with the need that His name would be hallowed, not to begin with self-centered prayers, but God-centered prayers, is crucial. We don't begin with the smaller things of life when we come to God with the mundane, but we begin with the gold. We begin with God Himself. We lay the foundation in the primacy of God. Hallowed be Thy name. Now, there are certain 
areas in the world today that my wife and I have had the privilege of, of traveling to and hearing people pray all around the world. And, but there are certain areas, I'm thinking right now of Northern Ireland in particular, that when the ministers pray there, and I've heard this many times, it's, it's not just one or two expressions, but it's one minute, two minutes, maybe three, four minutes at the beginning of all their prayers. They're just extolling the name of God. In fact, the praise that goes out of their lips for who God is is just stupendous. It's convicting. They're hallowing God's name. It's a beautiful thing, by the way, to hear in different nations the way different people pray, to learn what you should do, to learn what you shouldn't do. But this is one thing that is really positive, not just in Northern Ireland, other places as well, where they seem to do it quite a bit more than we do, quite frankly. Just extolling, hallowing, lifting up, magnifying, praising the name, the attributes, the character, the works, the glory of a triune God. Marinating in that, in their prayers. And you see, really, that's what Jesus is teaching us. And we can learn from fellow Christians around the world in this way, can we not? God's reputation, God's honor must be promoted in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our world. And therefore, this must be foundational in our prayers. Hallowed be thy name. Now, this was foundational in Jesus' prayers. Actually, in John 12, what's happening is that he's beginning to be troubled. He's beginning to be consumed with the weight of the sins of his people. He says, now is my hour coming. Jesus says in verse 23, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And in the middle of that agony that we've been looking at for a couple months now in Passion Sermons, in the middle of that agony, He turns around and when He pours out His heart, He says, Father, glorify Thy name. What a beautiful example Jesus is here of how we should center upon our God. Now, when we say, hallowed be thy name, we are not to understand this expression, or Father, glorify thy name, essentially the same thing, as a sentence in the indicative. That is to say, We're not just giving a fact. We're not merely saying, well, God's name is holy, as the word hallowed means. Rather, we are to use the imperative mood. We are calling God to act. We are calling upon God to act. You see, in the Greek form of of this petition and, and other petitions as well in the Lord's Prayer, the verb comes first. If you were to translate it very literally, you could do it this way. 
Cause thy name to be hallowed. Cause thy kingdom to come. Cause thy will to be done in earth as it is in heaven. So the verbs are reverent imperatives. They are earnest entreaties. They are calling upon God to do what we cannot do. They are imploring God to act, to honor His own name in us, through us, beyond us, worldwide, to the glory of His own kingdom. Cause thyself to be known here on earth as thou art known in heaven. Now what does that mean? Well, that's what our instructor answers. He's not only talking here about the primacy of God, but he gets specific in Lord's Day 47, and he gives us three ways in which we hallow God's name when we call out to God that he would hallow his own name. And he hallows his own name also through us, if we're believers, through us in this threefold way, which are points two through four of this sermon. So point two, Father, grant us to know thee rightly. That's really what we're praying when we say, hallowed be thy name. Notice what he says, grant us first rightly to know thee, to know thee. To know is an intimate term in Greek and in Hebrew. It's not just, well, I know somebody. I know who he is. To know thee is an intimate relationship. It's even the word that was used of a, of a husband and a wife coming together in intimacy. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a son. You see, so the catechism interprets the petition as first of all an expression of hunger. Hunger to know God. When you truly pray, hallowed be thy name, you are hungry to know God, to know Him better, to know Him intimately. Grant us first of all, rightly to know Thee. And then it explains what that means. In all Thy works, in which Thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. So, when we come to know God, we come to know Him, first of all, in the realm of nature, don't we? We, we are amazed in nature because the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. When we see beauty in nature, we know something of God. It's not saving. Or if you are a believer, it can be confirming. But Paul says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power in Godhead. So, when you have eyes of faith and you see nature, you don't just see nature. You see, as it were, the eternal power, the Godhead of God, says Paul. And you give Him thanks. And you see His attributes. You see many of these attributes of of, of power and wisdom and justice and mercy and truth. 
When the world works at na- looks at nature, it sees the creature. But when the Christian looks at nature, he sees the Creator. And he cries out, Hallowed be thy name. And so by the grace of God, the Christian's tongue has been loosed to sing the praises of his Maker through the realm of nature. So when you see the splendor of a sunrise, the majesty of a mountain, the swift flight of an eagle swooping down in search of prey, or a ladybug climbing up a blade of grass, or the movements of the vast prairies as the wind stirs the grass, you look out and you cry out, this is the handiwork of my Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. But much more. Much more that is true of the work of redemption. God's greatest work is not creation. His greatest work is salvation to the glory of His name. And that's what Jesus is referring to in John 12 preeminently. As His hour of death is approaching, He prays with a troubled soul, Father, glorify Thy name. And then shortly after this in the upper room, He prays again, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son may also glorify Thee. And the Father says, I have glorified Thee, and I will glorify Thee. So there's a, there's a beautiful exchange. The Son wants the Father glorified. And the Father says, I love My Son, I will glorify Him. The Father honors His name, His own name, by honoring His Son. That's the beauty of the Gospel of John. That's revealed there more than anywhere else in the Bible. Seventeen times, John says something like this, the Father loves the Son. The Father honors the Son. The Father glorifies the Son. This is a Johannine theme that runs throughout the entire Gospel. Christ exalts the Father, and the Father exalts the Son. Hallowed be Thy name. Father and Son are one. Two in persons, but one in essence. He who has seen me, Philip, has seen the Father. And so there is a beautiful harmonization in all the attributes of God through the Son, such that God can be just and the justifier of Him who believes in Jesus. And this glory, this honor, is brought through the way of suffering, through the darkest hours of Jesus' life, when He was betrayed and forsaken and tried and condemned and spitefully used and rejected and led away to be crucified. His glory blazed more brightly then and in His resurrection at any other time. The Father is glorifying His Son in the paradoxical grandeur of suffering and shame as well as in His resurrection, in His greatness and glory. All to glorify His own name. So that infinite goodness and infinite justice are met together and righteousness and peace have kissed each other and salvation 
to the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son by the glory of the Holy Spirit can be poured out upon us. Father, glorify thy name. Father, glorify thy Son that thy Son may also glorify thee. You see the logic. When the Father glorifies His Son through His death and resurrection, His Son is then positioned at the Father's right hand to give eternal life to the elect by the Spirit. Eternal life that consists of knowing God. Grant us to know God rightly in Jesus. It's the only way you can know God rightly is in Jesus. You can't know Him savingly in any other way. And so may I ask you this morning, do you know God rightly in Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you know Him as well as you'd love to know Him. I'm asking you, do you know Him? Is He an intimate Savior to you through Christ? Is He your God, your portion, Do you long to hallow His name? Now secondly, which is our third point, Father, move us to magnify Thee. If we rightly know Him, we want to magnify Him. Notice what it says. And to sanctify, glorify, or magnify in the original German, and praise Thee in all Thy works. So, when we hallow God's name, we rightly know Him in Jesus Christ as that suffering, resurrected Lord who's our substitute and our only salvation. Yes. But then our goal is to magnify Him, to set Him on high, to glorify Him in both His persons and His works. Hallow, magnify, And praise Him as He works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Now the word there for magnify is of course drawn from the word magnificence. Really what we're doing when we're hallowing God's name, we're declaring His magnificence. We're not, it's not like a magnifying glass, we're bringing Him up bigger than He really is. You cannot enlarge God. But to magnify God is to declare His magnificence. Like like David in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. So, when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are praying not just that we will know God better and better, but we are praying that we would magnify Him, declare His greatness, declare His magnificence. We're declaring with the psalmist, His holy name remember, ye saints Jehovah praise. His anger lasts a moment, His favor 
all our days. Not unto us, O Lord of heaven, but unto Thee be glory given. In love and truth Thou dost fulfill the counsels of Thy sovereign will. Though nations fail Thy power to own, yet Thou dost reign, and Thou alone. So here's the question. Are you zealous? Are you zealous for the name and the glory of God? We know, we know, of course, that the day is coming when Jesus will bring His redemptive work to its culmination and the name of God will finally be honored as it ought as He says, Father, here am I and all those whom Thou hast given Me and all of heaven will ring with the magnification, as it were, of the name of God. And God will be honored and glorified as He is truly worthy of. He'll be known and believed and honored throughout all of heaven. But you see, here below, this needs to become the trajectory of our life. This needs to become the intentional purpose of why we get out of bed every morning. Father, our Father, which art in heaven, help me to hallow Thy name, to know Thee, to magnify Thee, to live for Thee today. Grant that my entire life may have this passion, this zeal, this flame, this longing, this bright white flame of living for Thy glory. And you see, that's the last thing that our instructor says. Further also, that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored, praised on our account. Which leads me to my last thought, our Father, order our lives for thy honor. Hallowed be thy name should govern our entire lives. No one is there in this life completely. We all come short. But this is the goal. This is the passion. This is the longing. This is the prayer of every true believer. And too often, too often, far too often, we get caught up, even if we're true believers, we get caught up with all the other things of life that are secondary to this primary need to hallow God's name. And what that means is that we end up caring more about how we feel than how God feels. We end up feeling more for our infirmities, our troubles, our trials, than to glorify God's name. And we often forget that the center of every petition we make ought to be this first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Father, glorify Thy name. And that we ought to live consciously, intentionally with that as our goal 
every day in all our thoughts, all our words, all our actions. Now we realize we can't do that in our, on our own strength. But that then becomes our prayer. Cause thy name to be hallowed in me. In everything I say, everything I think, everything I do. Let me read it again. That we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, our words, our actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed, but honored and praised on our account. That's the way to live. That's the way to die. Now, what does that mean practically? Well, let's say, let's say, boys and girls, that you have a, maybe you have a grandmother who's who's not saved, who's not a, a true believer. And you're praying every day for her salvation. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Keep praying. But what's at the center of that prayer? Is it just that she would be saved? Or is the center of the prayer that she would be saved so that God would be glorified in the earth? You see... There are many good things to pray for, and we can even pray for them in, in some, somewhat of a right way. But you see, if the center of prayer itself, the glory of God, is missing, the prayer is not yet what it ought to be. Now, this is particularly challenging in our day when our society, and the world around us, as well as our own natural hearts, are so incredibly bent on selfishness. But what really matters today? How I feel, what I like, what I want, you see. But our instructor is saying, and Jesus is saying by his own example in John 12, what really matters most of all is God's glory. So do you hallow God, first of all, in your thoughts? When you're all by yourself, are there times you, you just meditate? Like, like David says, my meditation of him shall be sweet. Are you just pouring out your heart in gratitude to God that you want to honor him in your very thoughts? Or do you go through a whole day and scarcely ever think of God? Because... You're living for what you want and what you can accomplish. When bad things happen, is your first thought, how can I praise God in this? How can I honor God? That's a tough question. Every one of us by nature gravitates towards selfish responses. Every one of us, when bad things happen to us, we want to see ourselves as uh, some kind of victim that doesn't deserve this. How could this happen to me? I'm the, same as, I'm the same as you are. My first thought by nature is not, how can I glorify God in this? How can God magnify His grace in this? How can the wonders of His mercy be manifest through this trial. 
hallowed be thy name. Yes, but how can God get glory through this tragedy that's happened in my life? Through this sickness, through this, through this broken relationship, through this sorrow, through this... How can it happen? Well, it can happen because God is God. There's no hopeless cases with God. God can solve the unsolvable. God can redeem the irredeemable. God can do wonders. And so we bring Him our every need in this frame of mind when we're coming to Him rightly. Hallowed be Thy name. In fact, God gets the greatest glory usually through the greatest trials. Isn't that true when you look back in your life? It's not always to believe that while you're going through it. But when you look back on your life, when you look back on your life, you say, when did God get the most glory in my life? It was exactly when you were going through the deepest trials in which you couldn't see your way out. And you just pleaded with Him for mercy. And you pleaded with Him at such times, no matter what happens to me, Lord, just get glory to Thy own name through this. And you see, then you're in the right place. Then you won't make a mess of the afflictions you're going through. Then you won't end in yourself. Then you won't be the victim. You won't be the complainer. You won't be the spreader of all the bad news you have in your heart, in your life. But then you will take it to God. And God will get the glory. And God will bring you through. And God will do wonderful, amazing things. Way beyond what you can even imagine. But you see, that's not our nature. That's grace. Our nature is, but poor me. Poor me. Why am I going through this? Why does this have to happen to me? We don't begin where we have to begin. Hallowed be thy name. Then says our instructor, what about your words? Direct and order all my words that thy name may be honored and praised. How many words we say in a day? How many words we spit out through Facebook or through typing or on our computers? How many thousands of words we speak every day? Is one of them a day for the glory of God? So often we go days, weeks, with unintentional living. Not harnessed, not tethered to this, to this mainstay. Lord, hallowed be thy name. Let every word that comes from my lips be directed to the glory of thy name. Don't let me write anything. Don't let me say anything. Don't let me speak to someone else in an unedifying way that doesn't bring glory to thy name. And what about your actions? Are you resolving to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God? Do you sanctify the Lord God of hosts by letting Him be your fear? Isaiah 8.13 Do you serve Him with childlike faith to honor and hallow His name? Hebrews 12, verse 9 Does your life validate 
your prayers? Or do you just pray, hallowed be thy name, and then go out and live an unhallowed life? Do you adore God with your life? Do you set Him on high? Do you mirror His attributes by doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with Him as your God? Do you rejoice in the Lord always? Always? Also in affliction? Do you hallow His name by submitting your entire life to Him? By giving everything over to Him? Also those besetting sins that you battle against day and night? Do you surrender all to Him without murmuring? Or are there parts of your life that you're still trying to take hold of? Still trying to not give over to God? Do your actions coincide with your thoughts, your desires, your words? Is your life like, do you long that your life would just be like one large tapestry of obedience to God? Desiring to glorify Him? Belonging not to yourself, but to Him? That your only comfort really is in life and death that I don't belong to myself, but unto Jesus Christ? And you pray that not just for yourself, but for your family, for the church, for, for the nation, for the, for the whole world? Do you pray that the whole world might bow before the great hallowed name of God in reverence and praise and worship and honor and humility? How do you spend the Lord's Day? The other six days? What do you do with your time? What do you read? Who are your closest friends? Is your life a consistent trajectory? Hallowed be thy name. Are you striving to hallow God's name? Is that your purpose for living in your family, your congregation, in the workplace, at school? Does your life testify to the glory and the beauty and the personality and the holiness of God? No, no, not that you've dare to even come close to achieving perfection, but the trajectory of your life, is that what it is? Are you longing to grow in grace? Are you longing to be more conformed to Jesus Christ? Hallowed be thy name. You see, if we are really professing to be Christians... We are called to walk circumspectly in this world so we don't give the world an opportunity to point fingers at our ungodly conduct and ultimately at our God to say, well, that Christian, he says, hallowed be thy name, but when bad things happen to him, he acts like anybody else does, lashes out. The psalmist who prayed that God would turn away the reproach he feared also prayed, Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. To hallow God's name, we must be conformed to the will of God. God's will is that His holiness be acknowledged and adored and honored by us. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, our life, we want our life to identify 
with God's desire for His own glory. We're really praying, Lord, grant us grace to be patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity. Grant us faith to trust in Thee as our faithful God and Father. So that whatever befalls us, whatever becomes of us, whatever our future may be, let Thy name be hallowed and glorified in me, even if it means deep ways of affliction, even if it means death itself. Hallowed be Thy name. Our greatest desire, when things are right, when we're not backsliding, our greatest desire is that God's name would be hallowed in us and through us to His own glory in our lives. And there's a sweetness, there's an incredible sweetness in being in that place. Hallowed be Thy name. A holy self-forgetfulness. What a blessing. What a blessing. And a holy preparation to be with Christ forever in glory. You see, death is a threshold that we must cross in order to see the glory of the only begotten Son of God in all its fullness. And to receive our full desire to hallow God's name with the totality of our being. His radiant glory is the light of heaven itself. That's why there's no need for a sun or for a moon or any light in heaven. Because the Lamb is the light thereof. And one day, we will see His name hallowed perfectly. One day, we ourselves will hallow His name perfectly. One day, we will see His glory unmediated. For we shall be glorified together with Him. And we shall be as holy as He is holy. We shall behold His glory, says John. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in that day, we will receive our desire to hallow His name perfectly. And Jesus will receive His desire to hallow His Father's name perfectly through us being with Him where He is. Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which Thou hast given Me. Yes, this life is full of trouble. Yes, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. But the day is coming, dear believer, when we all, with open face, 2 Corinthians 3.18, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And one day, that process of being changed from glory to glory through affliction will give way to everlasting glory where the weakness of the flesh and the power of sin and the dullness of our minds and our inner rebellion against God will all flee away. And then we shall know, 1 John 3, 2, when He shall appear, that we shall be like Him and we shall see Him as He is. 
in the glory of His person. Hallowed be Thy name. O death, where is Thy sting? O grave, where is Thy victory? Lord, we would see Jesus. Sirs, we would see Jesus. We would see His glory. We would be with Him where He is. Bring me to glory. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let me see Him whom my soul loves. Oh, may God help us to be delivered from the bondage of our selfishness and to live for the glory of His name. Father, glorify Thy name. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Amen. Great God of heaven, we bow before Thee in these moments as a God who art entirely worthy to be honored and praised and glorified in every aspect of our lives, our thoughts, our words, our deeds. Lord, may Thy name never be blasphemed by us, but honored and praised on our account. Oh, help us. Deliver us, Lord, from all our selfishness, from all our thinking that we have rights. Help us to bow at Thy throne as poor needy beggars, trusting in Thy righteousness, Lord Jesus, and finding our all in Thee, the perfect triune God. Help us to hallow Thy name. Cause Thy name to be hallowed in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.